I want to talk about being used by God. How many uh, of you want to be used by God? I hope that that's everyone. Um, I want to look at six steps that help us to be used by God. Um, the first one uh, is in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Isaiah says, uh, then I, it, the Bible says, and then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, speaking of Isaiah, here I am, send me. <laughs> it seems simple, but one of the first steps to being used by God is asking to be used by God. We often sit back thinking, wondering, hoping, and it is true that God knows our hearts, but all throughout scripture, he has put so much power in our mouths. The Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. He has put so much power and so much control over your uh, situation and future in your mouth that when we fail to speak up and say, God, use me, we are crippling ourselves. It's an, there's an interesting story in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse this is 18 through 19. And the, the king uh, is being spoken to by the prophet of God. And the prophet says, then take the arrows. And the king took them. Elijah told him, strike the ground. And he struck it three times and stopped. Bam, bam, bam. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram. You would have completely destroyed it, but now you will defeat it only three times. It's interesting that what God wanted from the king was passion. He wanted zeal. Um, there's a word in Spanish that doesn't have an exact translation in English called ganas. It's like desire. And, and I love thinking of that in this, we need to ask God, not just, well, God, you know, if you feel like using me, that'd be kind of nice because, you know, I ain't got nothing better going on. But God, I want to be used. Like Elisha, not just, but bam, 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 bam. He says, if you had been passionate about obeying what God told you to do, then you would have destroyed those people entirely. But because you were mediocre, you were indifferent, that didn't happen. Now, I know I have shared with uh, this particular scripture um, since 2004 because um, it has become one of my favorite passages, and that is Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 3. Uh, it says here, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. So we say, okay, I'm going to pray that God use me, but what? Well, what does that look like? Does that mean he's going to tell me to go buy a bullhorn and stand in the corner of the street and just start shouting the end is near and, and repent? Paul is instructing the church how to pray for him. And he says, pray for us too, that God may open a door for his message so that we may proclaim the mystery 
of Christ for which I am in change, chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. See, Paul says, pray that a door would be open. We, we don't have to beat people with the gospel. God says, pray that doors would be open. And of course, he wasn't talking about wooden doors or glass doors or metal doors. He was talking about opportunities. And I, I, I think of a, a time when I visited France and I was in college, I was studying um, French. I found super cheap tickets to, uh, to France. And so I just bought them. I didn't know what I would do there. And on my way, and, and before going, I was praying. I said, God, just, I don't know anyone there. I don't know what I'm going to do, but, but I want to do more than just sightsee. I want you to use me. Please, God, use me. And so I asked, well, the first day I arrived in Paris, I had my big old backpack on. I walked over to where the, the uh, Eiffel Tower was. There it was. Okay, I had seen it. Now I needed to find uh, a hotel for the night and I headed to a hostel, which is basically a cheap hotel um, where they will often give you roommates. Uh, and backpackers use them a lot in Europe. And so I get there and it's full. And the same time that I'm arriving, there was an Australian uh, guy who was arriving, um, who was taking a break between his uh, high school and college. And we both arrived at the same time. They told both of us that it was full. And then they told us, they called another hostel across town and found out there was room there. And they said, hey, this is where you can go. And so the two of us went together. And as we're going along, we're talking. And, and remember, I had prayed. I said, God, open doors. And it didn't take long for him to discover that I was a Christian because I was studying at a Christian school and I had just finished uh, going to Bible school. And so just talking about my life, he discovered I'm a Christian. And then he turns to me and he says, so tell me, what do you believe about God? the door was opened. Now, many of us would say, oh, I, I don't know how to be used. I don't know what to do. But if somebody said, what do you believe about God? Could you answer? And here's the thing. Many of us are like, oh no. If, if, if I have to answer, I mean, I've got to say it just right. Well, I mean, here's the deal. The Bible says, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. This is, this is such a great combination. Those two verses together. It says, Paul again is explaining how to pray. He says, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. So Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, is telling the people there, he's saying, okay, pray for me that words would be given to me. So we can ask God to open doors and he will open them. We can ask God to give us words. How profound is that? We don't have to have the words. I remember I told him the simplest thing. I said, you know what? I believe that God created the world everything in it. He did it because he wanted to have a relationship with us, but he didn't want that relationship to be robotic uh, or meaningless, so he gave us free will. 
He gave us the ability to choose not to have relationship because he wanted meaningful relationship. And we chose, as a, as a humanity, we chose to sin and to disobey. And his perfection doesn't mix with sin. So that sin has to be removed somehow. But the only uh, way to, to pay for sin is through death. So he sent Jesus, who died, lived a perfect life, didn't deserve the death. He died so that we could have relationship. But if that relationship was automatic, again, it wouldn't be meaningful. So God has given us a path to him through Jesus, who died in our place. But we have to choose to take that path. We have to invite that forgiveness that he freely gives. That's it. I mean... That's it. And this Australian guy, he looks at me and he says, I have never heard it that way. I mean, people have told me I was going to hell before, but, but nobody ever explained it that way. Man, and then, and then his eyes got even bigger and he said, you know what? He said, before I met you today, I went to the cathedral of Notre Dame. That's that famous cathedral that recently burnt. Uh, he said, I went in there and I lit a candle and I prayed. I said, God, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, please send me a sign. And he looks at me and he says, I think you're that sign. Now, how many people in Grand Rapids, Granville, Jenison, Kentwood, Grand uh, Haven, wherever it is you're from, how many people have asked God for a sign? Many. See, we don't know who, we don't know when, but God knows exactly who, and he knows exactly when. And I believe, according to Scripture, that when we ask to be used, God will use us. I believe he's out there looking for people who are willing to say, God, use me. And when we dare to say that prayer, then God will open those doors. And here's the thing. We don't have to worry about what we will say. Because it, the Bible tells us it's the Holy Spirit that draws us in. We don't have to have the words just right. Trust me, it's not about getting the words just right. The Holy Spirit will use those words. The Bible, Paul, he said, pray that when I open my mouth. What did Paul have to do? It doesn't say pray that when I am inspired. No, he said when I open my mouth. All Paul had to do was open. He had to begin to speak and God would give him the words and anoint the words that he was speaking. So, first point. Ask for it and desire it with all your heart, knowing that it is a biblical prayer to ask that God open doors and to ask that God give you the words. God will use you. I could continue with story after story about times when, when I have prayed and I have said, God, please use me. And in the strangest places and in the most surprising ways, God answers that prayer. I challenge you to pray that prayer. Number two is to know God. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 26, David 
has been sent by his father to bring food to his brothers. Uh, I heard someone say it was pizza without sauce. It was bread and cheese. Um, to his brothers at the, at the uh, battlefield. And he comes and Goliath is there cursing the Israelites, speaking ill of God, challenging them to send a champion to fight with him. And David looks and he says, what will be done? In verse 26, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? What is David focused on? He's not focused on his strength. He's focused on God's strength. He says, who is he that he defies the armies of the living God? David's focus wasn't on himself. His focus was on God. And when he knew God, then he knew what God wanted to do. In Matthew 14, 28 through 30, we have the story of Peter. And when he walked on the water and he said, called out to Jesus and he said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. Peter was the first of the disciples to recognize that's not a ghost. That's our master. That is Jesus himself. When we know God, that puts us in a situation to know what he wants to do. Luke chapter 137 says nothing, with God, nothing is impossible. If we don't know that our God heals, how will he use us to heal? If we don't know that God wants to mend brokenhearted, then how would he going to use us to speak encouragement to those who are brokenhearted? You see, when I know God, when I know his purpose and his will and his, his uh, passion and his plans, then when I see something that is contrary to the will of God, I can say, like David did, he's like, wait a minute, I see this giant and he is just cursing the Israelites and he is saying all these things about God. I know that's not what God wants. I believe that David was not convinced of his own strength. It was God's strength he was convinced of. He knew God's strength so well, he recognized God can even use me. That's where we want to be. We want to be uh, filled with knowledge of God. Proverbs chapter 2, uh, verse Let's see, one, uh, let's see. Proverbs chapter two, verses one through six. Let's see if I can find that. I may have forgotten to pull that one up. That verse talks about inclining your ear to, to wisdom, applying your heart, crying after knowledge, and seeking it as silver. This is how we know, when we know God, we seek him. We need to seek to know him. If I want to be used, I've got to know the person 
who I want to use me. I need to know God. The more I know he heals, the more I can be used to heal. The more I know he loves, the more I can be used to spread his love. 1 John chapter 4, 8 says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Famously, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. As we get to know his love, we will find that we will see and his desire, when we know him, then his desires, his wishes will become highlighted to us. In situations where we would have just sat and, and not realized anything at all, we're going to say, wait a minute, I recognize what God wants in this situation. And that puts us ready to be used. All right, number three, 1 Samuel 17, 28. So we're back to the story of David. David has recognized God's will in that situation. He knows God and realizes that God is not happy with the way that Goliath is speaking. And the first thing that happens after he asks what will be given, says in verse 28, when Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger against him. He said, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is, and you came down only to watch the battle. David responded, now what have I done? Can I even, can't I even speak? And he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. Number three, how to be used by God. David is an example here of how to not listen to negative talk. Notice that David is on the verge of saving Israel, of launching his own um, ministry and his own uh, fame. I mean, he's about, he's on that verge. And what happens? His brother comes and says, oh, I know you. You can't do anything. You're just a lowly shepherd. You don't belong here. Yeah, 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 yeah. The devil has used that strategy since thousands of years ago, and he's still using it today, and sadly it works. He will come with negative talk. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, it says, bad company corrupts good morals. So many people have been situated on the verge of being used by God. They know what God wants them to do. They recognize what God wants them to do. And then someone comes and tells them, you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you can't do this, leave it for somebody else. We, God knows that you can. And they have turned around and given up on what God was trying to do through them. Do not listen to negative talk. David gives a good example. The Bible says he turned and spoke to another. When his brother, it's interesting that it was family. Sometimes it is people close to us who are the most negative. But he turns away from his brother and he speaks to someone else. Then he gets brought before the king. The king says, how? How are you going to do this? This is verse uh, 33. The Bible says, 
Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been fighting men from his youth. But David said, Your servant has been keeping the father's sheep. His father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. The next step to being used by God is to focus on what he has done. David was asked by the king, What makes you think you can fight this giant? And David's response is, Well, God has been with me in the past, so I trust that he will be with me again in this situation. He helped me with a lion. He helped me with a bear. Now he'll help me with a giant. And here's the thing. If you can't think of a situation in your life where God has used you, the Bible says that he is not partial. That means that when we read the scripture and we see stories of what God has done through others, he's willing to do the same through you. When you hear that God is doing something through your friends at church. God is willing to do the same through you. We can encourage ourselves by looking back at what he's done. It's, it's amazing how the perspective changes when we recognize what God has done in us in the past. I want to encourage you, every one of you, God has been faithful to you. I know that. It's possible you can't think of it right now. That's one of the devil's strategies, is to keep us focused on the negative. Because the things that we don't reconsider, we often forget. I remember as a kid going on uh, mission trips each summer. And we had grand adventures. I mean, I'm traveling internationally. I'm going to these exotic places. And, and I thought to myself, surely I will remember everything. And I remember, I still remember, one of the things I do remember, was being told by some of the leaders of those trips. They said, right now, what you're experiencing feels unforgettable. But if you don't write it down, if you don't keep track, then there is a good chance that you won't remember. And I remember being so surprised by that. But it's been true. Over the years, I realized that the adventures I had that I did not write down or immediately share with others, many of those have forgotten. And I run into someone who I was with and they tell a story and I'm like, oh, I totally forgot. I totally forgot that happened. God was very intentional with the Israelites to make sure that they would tell their children what God had done with them. He set up a holiday so that they would remember what he had done. Why? So that they could have faith going forward. That's what that was all about. Number five, Luke chapter 16, verse 10. 
says, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. What an interesting concept. God says that if we are faithful in little, he will make us faithful, or he knows we'll be faithful in much. God will not violate his own principles. I love the story in Acts chapter 6. The Bible says this. So, in verse 2, it says, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. Okay, so what's going on here? The big shots of the early church, the actual disciples of Jesus Christ, are busy waiting tables and serving food. And they've come to recognize, you know what? That should not be where we, we put our focus. Let's find some other people to do that for us. Verse 5, the proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. Now, what did they lay hands on them for? Well, to wait tables. So, that list of names were chosen to wait tables. No surprise there. But what is interesting to me is when we see their names mentioned again. Only a couple verses later, chapter 6, verse 8, says, Now Stephen, who was Stephen? Stephen is one of the waiters. A man full of God's grace and power did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Whoa. Verse 10, it says, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or by the spirit or the spirit by whom he spoke. This is Stephen. Stephen, who started out waiting tables. But we see that even in the early church, they were faithful little, they would be faithful with much. God is not going to go against his own principles and promote us directly to great things if we are not willing to serve him in the small things. When, when we have an opportunity to serve God and to serve others, remember, we are serving God when we serve the least of these. When we have an opportunity to do something like that, we need to take it. Why? Because it is a principle, God's principle, that when he sees us faithful and little, he will promote us. I like what happened. So Stephen, great things. Chapter 8 of Acts, verse uh, 5, says, uh, Philip, another one of the waiters, went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Then again, in verse 38, and he gave orders. Philip was translated 
boom, move from one place to another like Star Trek, beam me up, boom, boom. God moves him to a place, sets him where a, a, a chariot's coming by. He then leads an Ethiopian man to Christ, baptizes him, and then is translated away. All incredible, amazing things. History tells us that that man he saved went to Ethiopia and was responsible for the gospel reaching most of Africa. God used Philip mightily. But how did he start? Waiting tables. What do we do? We need to be faithful in little. And lastly, number six, Mark 11, 23. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is true, believes what he says will happen, excuse me, it will be done for him. Number six is believe God's word. Chapter six, verse one of Mark, a very, very interesting, very powerful verse, says Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did he get, this man get these things, he asked. What is the wisdom that has been given him? but he, that he does even miracles. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house, is a prophet without honor. Verse five, he could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. You realize verse 5 said, he could not. Who's it speaking of? It's talking of Jesus. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. I do not want God to look at my life and say, oh, I could not do everything I wanted to do there. It's clear. God had greater plans for that place and for that time. But because of their unbelief, they limited what could happen. This is what God is, is showing us, that if we want to be used by God, we need to believe his word. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith is impossible to please God. Verses 33, 35 give lists of, of things that were accomplished through faith. It says, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. So much has been accomplished because people believe. Luke 137 says, nothing is impossible for God. It's exciting. I want to encourage you. God desires to use you. So, in conclusion, Matthew 9, says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
And then it says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out laborers into the harvest field. Let's do that right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send laborers out into the harvest. We recognize that the harvest is all around us. The harvest is in our neighborhood, it's in our schools, it's in our workplaces, it's in our families. Lord, we just pray that you would send us. We ask that you would use us. Open up opportunities, open doors for us, and then give us the words. We just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.